All right, so Joshua 15 and 16 is what we're going to go through. I, I want to get into, into chapter 17. Um, and I think we'll be able to go through three of those ch- three chapters tonight because chapters 15 and 16 have a, a, the majority of it is, is the listing of the boundaries of, a, of the tribes of Israel and, and lists all these names of these cities and territories and boundaries and um not that it's not important it absolutely is um but there's some other things scattered throughout these three chapters that i think are uh of uh, it's a little lower hanging fruit um and um i think are are from my perspective right now uh much more conducive to spiritual transformation than um, a geographical study of the territories of the tribes. Now, if we were living in their days, the territories of their tribes would be excruciatingly important to us. Um, But we're not. We're sitting on this side of the cross, this side of history. And so there's just a few things I want to pick out. In verse 15, chapter fifteen and sixteen, and hopefully get to seventeen, uh, because if we can, if I can make it uh, to chapter seventeen, I'm going to show you uh, God's hand of sovereignty and providence and amazement that goes all the way back through Numbers, through Jeremiah, through Joshua, and Matthew and Luke, uh, and it is absolutely in my, I think it's amazing. So. Uh, Let's start in chapter 15, verse 1, and the first sentence of verse 1, partial sentence, the allotment for the tribe of Judah, clan by clan. Let's just start there. Uh, As Joshua is given the allotment to the 12 tribes, and actually it's not really the allotment to the 12 tribes, because as we'll learn, one of the tribes, Levi, doesn't get an allotment because they're the priestly tribe. And the tribe of Levi's allotment goes to two tribes, the two sons of Joshua. Uh, I'm sorry, the two tribes of, of um, Joseph, uh, Manasseh, and Ephraim. And so, but anyway, the, the allotment of the tribes. As they're given the allotment for their land, the first tribe to get an allotment is the tribe of Judah. What should happen is it should start with the first, with the eldest son. Judah was not the eldest son. But in Joshua's allotment of the tribes, he starts with Judah. Um, and there's, there's no reason given for us in the Bible why he would do that. Probably wasn't supposed to. It should have started with the firstborn. I think Judah was the third or something like that. Like he should not have started with Judah. But he does. Some would say because of the role of the tribe of Judah in, the, in God's economy, because the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah, that, would, that, that lineage would run through the tribe of Judah. So some say that Joshua is doing that because kind of foreshadowing the importance and prominence of the tribe of Judah. Interestingly, though, not only does Joshua start giving territory to Judah, he gives an exorbitant amount of territory to Judah, much more than they would ever need. 
And we know it's much more than what they would ever need because of Joshua 19, verse 9, four chapters later. Chapters 19, verse 9, is we finally get to the allotment for the tribe of Simeon. And the allotment for the tribe of Simeon of land, in verse 9, says, The inheritance of the Simeonites was taken from the share of Judah, because Judah's portion was more than they needed. So the Simeonites received their inheritance within the territory of Judah. And so, for whatever reason, the tribe of Judah gets super special treatment. Not only do they get to go first, which technically they shouldn't necessarily, but they also get an overabundance um, of blessing. Um, so much so that it was more the way they needed, so they could take a whole another tri- Simeon's tribe's territory out of what was given to Judah. Just something to make note of. You don't have to make a lot out of it. Uh, and the only thing I think I would make out of it is that God is saying, look, my Messiah is coming through the tribe of Judah, and I'm going to treat him special. <laughs> so anyway, so it just, the, the, the chapter 15 goes on and lists the boundaries of it all. But I want you to pay attention to verse 13. So let's jump all the way down to verse 13. It says, In accordance with the Lord's command to him, Joshua gave to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, a portion in Judah, Kirith Arba, that is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. Let me stop right there. We talked last week about this Kirith Arba land that was the big loud city where the giants were, that after Caleb did time there and kicked out the giants and destroyed them, um, conquered them. That, that land was changed to Hebron, which means fellowship. And we talked about the idea that fellowship keeps, even when we're in the land of the giants, fellowship keeps us tied to God. And we talked about all that. Um, and it, it's, wor- it's, it's, it's worth listening to uh, last week's, if you, if you didn't hear that one. But I want to stay here because it, verse 13 says, in accordance with the Lord's command. Where was the Lord's command that Caleb got this territory? Anybody? Before they crossed. Well, it was before they crossed, but where? Like, when did this happen? When did the Lord command that he should get this land? After he scouted the property? Yeah, it was after. So go back to Numbers 14. If you go back to Numbers 14, 24. So they have scouted the land. They've done all of that. Uh, Numbers 14, 24, because Caleb and Joshua were faithful, God says in verse 24, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit uh, and follows me wholeheartedly, in other words, he has this spirit of belief in God's blessing and grace and what God's going to do, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. And, and so in Numbers 14, 24, he says, because he has this spirit of belief and faithfulness and trust in me and my deliverance, I will give him the land he went into, and it will be for his inheritance. That was the promise that's mentioned in Joshua 15, 13, in accordance with the Lord's command. Now, Caleb had to have received the land in the within the uh, within this tribe, because this was part of his tribal inheritance, where he happened to walk when he spied out the land 
was the exact portion that God wanted to give him an inheritance when it was all doled out. He didn't know it at the time. But we see over and over and over this rule. Please pay attention to this. We see this over and over in Scripture. Current faithfulness produces future blessing. We have to understand that principle. It was the fact that because Caleb was currently faithful in that time in Numbers 14, that it produced this blessing for him and his inheritance that God was setting up. Had he not been faithful back then, it would have nullified God's desire to give him his inheritance of this very land. Does that make sense? And the land that he's giving, that God is giving Caleb is the exact land where he had spied out. And, and so we need to pay attention to the, print, the spiritual principle behind this. That in those eras that were faithful, God endows back to us in abundant measure. We see it fleshed out in the tribal lands. Here we see the promise of it in the New Testament that says whatever measure you use, will be measured back to you, pressed down, shaken together, making room for abundance. Wherever we're faithful, God's faithful back. Uh, and we just get to see it here in, in beautiful fashion. Now watch this. Verse 14. From Hebron, Caleb drove out, uh, Caleb drove out the three Anakites, uh, Shishai, Ahima, and Talmi, the descendants of Anak. Just as a note... The descendants of Anak, this goes back to Genesis 6.14 and Numbers 13.33. And of, of the, 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 the giant, this, is, this is the reason why the, the first generation was afraid to take the promised land because they saw the descendants of Anak there. These are those descendants. These, the, the, these are, this is where Goliath came from, these giants. And so he says, from Hebron, he drove out the three of them um, as he said he was going to do in the last chapter. Give me the country where the giants are. There's still some we got to take care of. And he did. Uh, in verse 16, And Caleb said, I will give my daughter Aksa in marriage to the man who attacks and captures Kiriath Sefer. Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's brother, took it. So Caleb gave his daughter Aksa to him in marriage. This sets up what's coming. So let's just deal with this for a minute. Caleb says, if someone goes and attacks us here, I'll give them my daughter in marriage. And so Caleb's brother's son. Now it says, Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's brother. That word brother, initially it sounds kind of, I see the look on your face, George. You're like, okay, wait, wait. He gave his daughter to his nephew? Okay, so there are three options. You can choose which one you want to believe. I don't care which one you choose. Yes, it could have been his nephew. Because it was weird back then. Um, However, that word brother in the Hebrew can mean relative or it can mean someone from the same tribe or it can simply mean an ally. And so it could be that it was his nephew. It could be that it was another man who was very close to him from his tribe. It could mean that it was a man who was his ally in the in the fight. So the only reason I address that is to give you some biblical knowledge in case you ever go back and read this and say, wait a minute, I didn't pick that up on the first time. His nephew? <laughs> so just take that for what it is. It can mean either of those. I don't care which one you think it means. There's nothing in the scripture that says it was, it doesn't say it was his nephew. Um, 
Most of the time when that word is used, it means a blood relative like that. So it's likely that it was, but it doesn't necessarily have to mean that. I'll leave it to you to decide what it is. But here's why it's important. So he gives his daughter um, to Othniel. One day, verse 18, when she came to Othniel, she urged him to ask her father for a field. When she got off her donkey, Caleb asked her, what can I do for you? She replied, do me a special favor. This means, I know you've been good to me. Be extra good. Since you have given me the land and then to give, uh, since you've given me land and to give, give me also springs of water. So Caleb gave her the upper and lower springs. So let's, let's look spiritually at this. All through the book of Joshua, Joshua is a, a picture, a foreshadowing, a model of Jesus. Jesus' actual name, Hebrew name, was Yeshua, which is Joshua. His name was never Jesus. That's the Greek translation of Yeshua. And so this is actually the same name as the person who is the Christ. And so this is a picture of what Jesus does, delivers us into the promise. Caleb is a picture in the book of Joshua of the Holy Spirit. Caleb's mean, Caleb's name literally means dog. Now, if you don't understand dogs, that's a slap in the face. But if you do understand dogs, that's a badge of honor. Because what are dogs are the most loyal things I think God has ever created. And the only thing a dog does is whatever the master tells the dog to do. It it a dog is 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 complete obedience to its master. The Holy Spirit, the only thing the Holy Spirit does is not testify about himself. The only thing the Holy Spirit does is testify about the Father at the complete direction of the Father's moving. Uh, and so what we see here is a picture of the Holy Spirit who has given an overabundance of grace because of the relationship the bride had with the father. In the scripture, who's the bride? The church. the church. And because of the relationship that the church has with the father, right? The Holy Spirit. So anyway, just, just think of, th- we go through Joshua, just think in spiritual terms. Um, and not only did Caleb give what this bride, this young bride asked, Caleb gave it in abundance. She just said, give me water. He said, I'll give you water. I'll give you a spring, and not just one spring, but two springs. There's, this is the heart of the Father. This is the heart of, of the, this is what this Holy Spirit does. No mind has conceived, no ears, or no eye have seen what God has planned in store for those who love him. Right? There's an overabundance of grace. There's an overabundance of favor that comes to us through the Spirit because of this relationship that exists between the Spirit, the us, the Father, all this stuff. So let me go down. I really want, I want to be diligent, and I want to do this... Um, I want to get to some stuff here. So 
this is the inheritance of the tribe of Judah, clan by clan. It lists all these places. Verse 33, the western foothills, all these places. Verse 48, in the hill country, all these places. Verse 61, in the desert. Now watch this. Verse 63. Judah, what is? what are your Bibles? How does it translate? What, what comes after Judah? Judah could not dislodge the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. That is interesting to me. That they could not. That is a strange statement to make. Because what have we seen at every turn when God's people have faced enemies? What has been their success rate? 100%. 100%. And now all of a sudden they could not dislodge the Jebusites. It makes one wonder, what, why? Was God not with them? Did God choose not to now and abandon them? Um, all through Joshua, and again, I hope, hopefully you're picking up on it, or maybe you'll be able to think back and pick up on it. There is a strange mix between the human and divine in the book of Joshua. There's a strange mix where God says, I, I need you at your human level to do this. And as you do that, I will, from a divine level, do this. Do you understand? Um, and there's a divine mix of, I've given you these divine commands and promises but when you are unfaithful in your humanity, you're going to suffer the consequences of it. Think back to the, the, the battle of Ai. God gave them divine commands and they've shown, I've been with you. I've divinely conquered the enemy before you. But when you reject me and deny that, you're going to suffer consequences, right? So there's a strange mix of human divine in this. And sometimes... God's people have been divinely aided and given divinely aided victory. When there was no explanation about how it came about, it was just at the hand of God. But at other times, they suffered defeat because of unbelief and disobedience. We're not told why Judah could not dislodge the Jebusites, but we're given enough information from the history of what's happened so far that perhaps it was because... Either unbelief or disobedience, and they just couldn't. Now, hang on to that, because we're going to come to another passage very similar but profoundly different at the end of the chapter, at the end of chapter 16. So just tuck that away right now. I have a question. Yes, sir. According to this Bible, mm -hmm. in uh, Judges 121, mm -hmm. it's a different tribe that tried to get them out, and they couldn't. Tried to get out the Jebusites? Yes. Mm -hmm. So did the tribes trade land? This is, this is not Judah. It's a tribe of Benjamin. Yeah. Um, no, the tribes didn't trade land. Um, but um, the, the Jebusites posed problem for them. All over. Uh, 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 quite a few different places and times. And, um, yeah, so... so uh, 2 Samuel 5, 6. Um, where is 2 Samuel? 
too far. Yeah, so then, so after Judges, uh, the king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. The Jebusites said to David, you will not get in here. Even the blind and lame can ward you off. They thought David cannot get in there, get in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, the city of David. And so they caused problems all the way up until the second king after King Saul. The Jebusites did. Uh-oh. My Bible says they still live there today. Yeah, yeah, well... <laughs> Not enough to take, not enough to keep Jerusalem. No. Yeah. Okay. So, so we're going to get there. We're going to get there. So hang on to that. Okay. Uh, so verse 16 now. I'm sorry. Chapter 16. Again, the allotment for Joseph began at the Jordan of Jericho, east of the waters of Jericho, and went up from there through the desert into the hill country of Bethel. So this, this, is, this is all this allotment. Verse 4, so Manasseh and Ephraim, okay, so these are the two tribes, sons of Joseph, that took the place of the tribe of Levi. The 12 tribes came from which patriarch? Jacob. Yeah, uh, who had the 12 sons? Jacob. Jacob, yeah, okay. So it's like there's a lot of names we're dealing with. So Jacob has 12 sons, the 12 tribes. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. In God's providence, he says, I want you all to have this land. None of it's going to go to the Levites because we talked last week. He doesn't want the priests all in one spot because when Christians gather together, they're like manure. Uh, they start stinking up the place. And manure is, fertilizes when it's spread out. So he wanted his priests to spread out. So you take them out. Now we only have 11 tribes. Um, and so Joseph comes along, has these two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh, the eldest, Ephraim, the, uh, the second born. Uh, and when Joseph meets his father, Jacob, in Egypt, he says, here are my sons. Basically adopt them and give them a blessing. Uh, Joseph sets them on basically Jacob's lap, knowing that Jacob will bless the eldest and then bless the youngest. And so sets them so Manasseh is here and Ephraim is here. Jacob knows that this one will be the eldest and this one will be the the youngest. And so Jacob, in blessing them, blesses this one first (laughs) And then blesses this one second. And Joseph says, well, you got it wrong, pops. I know you're old, but you should still remember you're right from your left. He said, no, I know exactly what I'm doing. And he blesses the second born before the firstborn. So verse 5, this was the territory of Ephraim, clan by clan. And it lists all of this. Now hang with me. Go on down to chapter 17, verse 1. This was the allotment for the tribe of Manasseh. And so again, we have the tribe of Judah being blessed first, which they were not the eldest born, but they are super blessed and get a lot. Then we have the tribe of um, uh, Ephraim being blessed and then Manasseh. And it just seems like it's so backwards. Why would Ephraim 
be honored and blessed before Manasseh, the youngest before the eldest. And so I'm going to draw a lot of a spiritual analogy in this, okay? I'm not going to go back and talk about how Isaac tricked Esau because the, you know, younger, and I'm not going to talk about how Laban tricked Isaac in the exact same thing, gave him Rachel over Leah and all this stuff. And I want, I want to look at this from a different perspective. And let me suggest this. That God's way is to bless the second born over the firstborn every time. I don't mean that literally. I mean it spiritually. Because what we're learning in John. Now think back to what we're learning on John on Sundays. You must be born again. A second time. Right? So we're born once in the flesh. The firstborn. Right? And we're born a second time in the spirit. The second born. Right? So what we see spiritually playing out all through the Old Testament is that God blesses the second born over the first born every time. God doesn't bless the work we do in the flesh. God blesses the life of the spirit. And that's, just, that's how God works. What is born, like, like the second born life is the spirit born life. The first born life is the flesh born life. This is why he can say, Jacob, I've loved Esau, I've hated. He didn't hate the kids. But spiritually, Jacob was the life of the spirit. Esau was the life of the flesh. And he says, this is how I work. You can do all you want in the flesh and it will bear no fruit. You live your life abiding in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, he says. And so everything we do, Hebrews, the writer Hebrews will come along and say, without faith, it's impossible to please God. He doesn't say without works, it's impossible to please God. He said without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so something that we've got to pick up all through scripture and I hope you can start looking back in Old Testament and saying, okay, I see God's hand at work. He blesses the second born life, not the first born life. I wonder why Joseph didn't know that. Or Jacob knew it. Or Joshua know. knew it. Some people knew it. Some people yeah. Knew it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just want to bring these things out and say, just think about this stuff. That, 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 that the, the work we do in the Spirit is, 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 and the work we do by the Spirit is what will be blessed, not the work we do in our flesh. Um, just keep that in mind. Anything done in the Spirit, anything done as an act of faith, as a work of faith, as a walk of faith, will be blessed. That's why the Bible says, I walk by faith, not by sight. God can bless that, Right? So let me, let, me, let, me, let me jump back up from verse 17 and, and at the end of verse 16. Uh, yeah, yeah, the end of chapter 16. Now watch this. This says something similar but profoundly different than chapter 15, verse 63. Chapter 15, verse 63, we talked about it. Judas, or Judah what? Could not dislodge the Gentiles. Look at this one. Chapter 16, verse 10. They did not 
dislodged the Canaanites living in Gezer. To this day, the Canaanites live among the people of Ephraim, but are required to do forced labor. What's the difference? Could not, did not. One's a choice. Could not means I can't. Did not means I didn't. Profoundly different. Um, I could not do trigonometry homework. I'm not smart enough. I did not do my addition. To make sense? There's something different in this. That verse 63 of chapter 15, they could not, for whatever reason, sin, obedience, or disobedience, unbelief, something, they couldn't. But chapter 16, verse 10 is different. They did not dislodge the Canaanites. Did not is different than could not. Did not is different than could not. Most of our failing is not a could not issue. Most of our failing is a did not issue. I'll say this, most of mine, I don't know about your, most of mine is a did not. The interesting thing in this also, to this day the Canaanites live among the people of Ephraim. What, what, how, how's, how's that sentence sentence? But they're required to Maybe that's why they did not. <laughs> no, 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 understand. In Deuteronomy 20, verses 10 through 18, God tells them, all these people, the Canaanites, they have to be destroyed. If you leave them there, all of their idolatry is going to seep into your faith. You're going to be led astray. You're going to intermarry with them. You're going to be synchronistic with all of their faith practices to the point of sacrificing your own children. It's going to ruin you. God didn't give that command to any other people group except for the Canaanites. Here, they did not. Because why? Because maybe we can get them to work in our favor. And every time we do not, because we think there's benefit to be gained from it if we keep it around and do not do what the Lord has said, it's going to come back to our ruin. This is why they were led away into intermarrying and disobedience and idolatry. Because they did not. So, pretty clear warning for us in there. When God says, this is my standard, this is what I require, we have to be very careful that we don't give in to the did not. So, we good so far? Okay. So I'm, I'm going to be able to get to the point I wanted to get to. So that's chapter 15 and 16. Let me get to 17. Let's go down to verse 3. I'm going to do my best to explain this. Forgive me if it gets a little too confusing. So right now in your spirit, you can be praying that I have clarity. (laughs) Now, Zelophehad, son of Hefer, it's a really big man, (laughs) the son of Gilead, the son of Mikir, 
the son of Manasseh, had no sons but only daughters, whose names were Mala, Noah, Hogla, apparently a big gal, Milcah, and Tirzah. They went to Eleazar the priest, Joshua son of Nun, and the leaders, and said, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brothers. Let me just stop right there. So you have this man who has no sons. Inheritance is only supposed to go to the sons. And if not the sons, then the brothers and on down through the male line. It's not supposed to go to women. I'm sorry, ladies. That's just how they did it. These three gals. um, No, how many? One, two, three, four. These five gals come to Joshua and Eleazar the priest and say, our daddy had no inheritance or had no sons to pass on what is our family's inheritance. So give it to us. Otherwise, our family's out. And so they say the Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brothers. So go back to Numbers 27, verse 1. You go back to Numbers 27, verse 1. Uh, and, and, and the scripture says, The daughters of Zelophehad, son of Hepher, son of Gilead, son of Mecher, son of Manasseh, belonged to the clans of Manasseh, son of Joseph. Uh, the names of the daughters of uh, Milhah, Noah, Hagla, Milka, the same girls. They approached the entrance of the tent of meeting and stood before Moses, Eleazar the priest, the leaders in the whole assembly, and said, Our father died in the desert. He was not among Korah's followers who banded together against the Lord, but he died for his own sin and left no sons. So our dad died in the desert during the journey, and he had no sons. Why should our father's name disappear from this clan? Because he had no son. Give us property among our father's relatives. So, so you see what's happening. They're, they're, they're going before Moses and saying, don't let our father's name die out. Give us the land of his name. So Moses brought their case before the Lord, and the Lord said, What Zelophehad's daughters are saying is right. You must certainly give them property as an inheritance among their father's relatives and turn their father's inheritance over to them. Say to the Israelites, If a man dies and leaves no son, turn his inheritance over to his daughter. And then there's some other stipulations there. So that was the command. God changed the law that says if a man has no sons, it's fair, appropriate, and right to give the inheritance, the blessing, the future to the daughters. Okay? Now, given the fact that the daughter would marry someone within their own clan, because if they married someone outside of their tribe, and then something happened, then there's discrepancy on whose tribe gets the land now. Does it stay with the daughter or does it go with the man? So they had to marry someone within their own tribe, but it would go to the daughter. Do we see that? Okay, that's, that's the command here. And so, of course, Joshua says, absolutely, go ahead and do that. Now, that precedent right there, this precedent we just saw, uh, back from Numbers 27 and fleshed out here in Joshua 17, sets up the precedent for the blessing of the Messiah to run through Mary and not Joseph. Okay? Had it not been for this, 
the entire messianic line stops. It's, this is that important now. Let me share with you why. Go to Jeremiah 22. Okay? Uh, Jeremiah 22. So this was really, really, really important that these daughters approached Moses originally, got the okay from God for the blessing to go through them without the son. Remember, if there's no son, the blessing can go through the daughter. Okay? Now, Jeremiah 22, 28, 29, 30. Is this man, Jehoiakim, a despised, broken pot, an object no one wants? Why will he and his children be hurled out, cast into a land they do not know? O land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Here it is. This is what the Lord says. Record this man as if childless, a man who will not prosper in his lifetime, for none of his offering, watch what it says, none of his offspring will prosper, none will sit on the throne of David or rule anymore in Judah. Understand what I'm saying? This man, this man, none of his offspring will prosper. None of it will sit, none of his offspring will sit on the throne of David or any more in Judah. Why is that important? It's important because of this. This guy, Jehoiakim. Um, Go to Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 11, this is the royal genealogy of Jesus from his royal line, the kingly line. Okay? It starts with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, all these people, all the 12. Uh, goes down through Rahab, Ruth, uh, to King David in verse 6. Um, goes down through David. Uh, verse 10, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amnon, Amnon, the father of Josiah, verse 11, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah or Jehoiakim. The exact same king that's listed in Jeremiah 22. It's this exact same man. What's the problem with that? This man is in the royal line, the kingly line of the Messiah. What's the problem with that? He was cursed back in Jeremiah 22, says none of his offspring will rule on the throne. But he's listed in the royal line of the Messiah. I don't know if you realize this before. It should have stopped right there. Messiah cannot be born. Not of the royal line. Because he was cursed back there, right? Anybody see a problem? So then it goes on. Let's just keep going. All the way down, verse 15. Eliu, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathen. Mathen, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called the Christ. So it goes down through to Joseph's, Jesus's foster dad, his father, Jacob, down through Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus. 
Here's why this is so important. When it says the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom, that little word, of whom, is a feminine singular. So Jesus, the Bible says, of whom was born Jesus, who was called, it, it traces the kingly line all through all these kings and all through, through all these men. Through Joseph, it doesn't say through Joseph of whom was born. It says of Mary of whom was born, using a feminine singular. So it's referring to the fact that Jesus was born, was the child of Mary, not of Joseph. So it takes Joseph completely out of the equation. Okay? So it tells us here that Jesus was born of Mary, not of Joseph. Joseph has no play in it. Okay? And that's important. What? But I read where Mary comes from the tribe of Levi. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. So, so, so now, in, in our little jaunt through Scripture, um, we're going to go to uh, Luke 3, 23. Okay. Luke 3, one more over, 23. Baptism and genealogy of Jesus. When all the people were being baptized, verse 21, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love with you, I am well pleased. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathet, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi. Okay? So, you have this man, Joseph, who was the son of Heli. So, Heli's Joseph's father... Um, it says, the son of Heli, right? Okay. Here's, here's just something to think about. And I'm not saying that this is exactly, you've got to believe it, but here's something to think about. That word son in the original Greek can also mean son-in-law. Okay. So there are many who suggest, and I just want to throw this out here for you, that Joseph, the son-in-law of Heli, Heli being Mary's father. The son of Joseph, the son-in-law, Mary, the daughter. Okay, here's why that's important. Hold on, hold on. This goes down through the genealogy. Verse 29, the son of Joshua, the son of Eleazar, the son of Joram, the son of Matthew, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon. The son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Melia, the son of Mena, the son of Metaha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, and on down through, all the way down to Adam, the son of God. 
when it lists the son of Nathan, this is a different son of David than Matthew's genealogy that lists the son of David. In Matthew's genealogy, the son of David that's listed is Solomon. Okay? In Luke's genealogy, the son of David that's listed is Nathan. Here's why. Nathan is a descendant of Mary. And when the Luke genealogy traces the genealogy through Nathan, which is Mary's ancestor, it bypasses Jehoiakim of Jeremiah 22. You get it? So, the only reason it could... And it's interesting because what this would tell us is that somewhere down the line, both Joseph and Mary through different people were descendants of, of the line of David. They were both descendants of the line of David. The only people in history. <coughs> and the only reason she could be included here and bypass Jehoiakim because she's a woman is because what's already happened in Numbers 27 and Joshua 17. Because the blessing went to women because they had no sons. Perhaps Mary's daddy had no sons. It had to go through her. The thing that gets me about this is all of these records were kept in the temple. So anybody could research this. No, until when? The temple was lost. Until AD 70. The temple's destroyed. All the records are gone, so there's nobody else in the history of the world that could ever make this claim. God says, I've, I've done it exactly how I wanted to. I fulfilled my word, even the curses, and I fulfilled my promises. I am in complete control of everything. And I've recorded everything in this word. It is perfect. And when you understand it, it revives your soul. Don't doubt me. Don't question me. You can doubt me, question me all you want. I'm coming out on top. You might see it as a difficulty. I see it as a plan. You go back to this man who had no sons. I guarantee you in the back of his head, he was thinking, my line's done. I have five daughters. There's no allowance for my prodigy there's no allowance for my name I, there's i don't live on after me you know i mean think about how depressing that is not to live on after yourself and what he saw as a problem and a difficulty and a tragedy god saw as the way i had to give you five daughters so that i could birth my son I had to take you through what you view as a loss, for what you view as a tragedy, for what you view as unfair, so that I could. Do you understand? How brilliant and how beautiful is God and His Word? It's amazing. So every time we look at it and say, God, but this isn't fair, this isn't right, this should be different, this should be, why did you? So I got, I got a lot of reasons why. Instead of me tell you why, why don't you just go back and look at my word and see what I've done in the past? Why would you think that my lot for you is detrimental to you? Right? 
So, anyway. That's Joshua 15, 16, and 17. And I hope that wasn't too confusing. I'm sure it was at some point. And I don't have all the answers. And I'm not going to answer any more questions. Just kidding. (laughs)